Welcome to the Synaxis Podcast. A Synaxis is a liturgical gathering. It can also refer to an unveiling event. The Synaxis Podcast is a weekly gathering hosted by yours truly, Scott Jones, for the purpose of finding the life-giving healing word of the gospel and the words of the weekly lectionary passages. Join myself and a guest each week as we explore the lectionary text together. This is the place for gospel-rich, grace-saturated, and a properly worldly lens on the week's lectionary passages, all in 25 minutes or less. My guest today is Jason Michelli. He's a United Methodist pastor. He's the host of the Crackers and Grape Juice podcast and the author most recently of Cancer is Funny. He's also a good friend. It was great to reflect on these texts with him. I give you Jason Michelli. Jason, welcome back to the podcast. It's a pleasure to be here with you, Scott. I think someone else has taken my record-breaking Synaxis appearance number away from me, but all the same, I'm glad that you gave me five minutes notice to be on your show today. That's because of your level of talent. <laughs> you're one of those, you're the pr- perennial amazing guest. You're so often imitated, amazing. but never duplicated. <laughs> Are my cheeks really this fat? Oh my gosh. Okay. You don't look fat at all. All right. We're going to talk the about way, the Bible? I, w- I was at Podcast Movement, for those who care, and I met Roger Cloud, who made the Cloud Lifter, which is the preamp you're using right now. On the, I, I, he's a, he's an amazing guy. He like He's just such a cool guy. He was in California when we met him, and he was like making music in his basement, and they, he wanted to use these ribbon mics, and he couldn't figure out a way to basically make these mics sound right, so the, as good as they could, so he invented that. I was like, you're Roger Cloud. Wow. Is Can the, I buy is, you a drink? Is, you're is like Roger a cloud Cl- named after him, too? I would totally take credit for that. Yeah, I, I, he should have been like, well, originally I went to cloud. Then, uh, <laughs> then uh, you know, so there we go. So, okay, on to our lectionary text. Jason, I feel like this first text is is has a take that you would love to put your spin on because here we have 2 Samuel eleven twenty six through twelve thirteen a which is where the wife of Uriah, this would be Bathsheba, uh, when the wife heard that her husband was dead, she lamented for him, the morning is over, David brings her to his house and then she bears him a son and then when david's displeased you know when the narrator tells us that this was not pleasing to the lord as if we the readers need to hear that yeah <laughs> like verdict is in ah this one wasn't so bad with the lord i mean he's good looking she's good looking he's dead but then he sends nathan the prophet to say let me tell you a story about this guy who raised this little lamb is his own and he treated like his child and then this rich guy came in and he had a whole flock but he said you know i i don't want to kill one of my lambs for the party let's go get that guy's lamb and he takes that lamb and david is so infuriated right infuriated and just says you know where is this man we're going to put the guy that did this you know we're going to we'll, we'll we'll take him we'll throw him in, in chains we'll kill this guy we'll get this make this right and nathan says you're the man yeah yeah you are the man, and you often like to comment on the sort of virtue signaling. This is like the this is like the the virtue signaling Old Testament text, right? David's like, "Oh my gosh, how could someone with a harem <laughs> of sheep of harem of I mean sheep take away this one little guy's lamb? Ah, uh, we got to make this right." And it's this ultimate moment, right? Where you know, alluding to the par- the saying of Jesus, right? You know, get the uh, plank out of your own eye yeah no i i i i mean the the verse you began with is is, what is that verse 27 of the previous chapter um 
but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord that like that spare, that, that spare reminder that David's sin follows him. Um, and that our regret follows behind, like that's just such a pregnant, eerie, uh, point in the passage. Um, but you, I mean, you mentioned virtue signaling. And so like, I mean, if I was going to preach this text on Sunday, which I'm not, um, I would, I know I would have, is that because you're a Marcy night? Uh, we're doing a a series through Ephesians. Uh, and so, uh, so I would focus on Ephesians, but, um, the way that we get, uh, the, the way that we use the word prophet and prophetic in the church today, especially in like the partisan fractious culture that we, we live in, um, doesn't correspond to how Nathan wields the word on David. Uh, and I, and I think I would want to unpack that. Um, you know, cause so often like we, like when preachers talk about being prophetic, we, we have in our minds, this kind of Amos image of, of railing against the, the principalities and powers for how they abuse the poor. And that's definitely like, obviously a, a stream in the old Testament. Um, but, but Nathan has a, a different way. And I think a more effective way of drawing, uh, repentance out of David, um, by using this really sneaky, um, subtle story, um, to hit him, hit him, you know, with a, a, a converting word. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting because he, David is, you know, this is, this is the golden age of Israel's history, right? And mm-hmm. David is not without his problems, but you know, he's, he's God's anointed here. And so he, he, David, like in his kingly kind of posture is like, yeah, I want to defend the righteousness of the realm. This is terrible. And so he, he gets David to see through another story the the inconsistencies in his own story. And I think that's, you're right. That's very different than, you know, it's like Roger or John, is it Roger hate? Yeah. The, um, the righteous mind talks about how uh-huh. most of the time, the reason why di- like dialogues on it, hot issues are don't work is because you're basically trying to convince your side that you're, that you're on the team. Mm-hmm. So you don't try to persuade the other side. You try to, just basically say, hey, I'm on, I'm on the righteous side. And I'm using all the right words. Well, here, Nathan, you know, gets David into another story. Yeah. Where he can see the weight of his own sin. And so often we have so many sort of self-justifying and self-deceiving stories, right? And so oftentimes we don't need people that draw harder lines. We need people that tell more subversive <laughs> uh, stories that get us to our need for grace. Yeah. And, 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 and like, and to realize that in a lot of Protestant churches this Sunday, this text will be read if it's, or or preached upon, if it is uh, on the one Sunday of the month where the Eucharist is celebrated. Um, And to draw a parallel between what Nathan does with David through this story with what God does with us through wine and and bread um, by making us a part of a story where we can like discover uh, despite ourselves that, you know, we are the betrayers who've been invited to this table um, and, and, and allow us to see ourselves in a way that otherwise we would be too defensive to admit. And something David needs to remember because before he's done the same thing with Mephibosheth earlier mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in the Samuel story, he invites him often forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. That's one of my favorite texts, but, but Mephibosheth, you know, the, the son of Jonathan comes 
to the table because of the faithfulness of another. Mm-hmm. And David's done that, you know, like at one point, and then he becomes the one that needs surrogate faithfulness and forgiveness. So now more on on grounds that you will hit in your sermon this week, Ephesians 4. Are you preaching from Ephesians 4 or are you doing something different? Uh, I'm preaching from the paragraph right before this. All right. So, well, last week's lectionary passage. Last week's lectionary. You're a week behind, but that's because you're batting like cleanup or something. Well, it's because we started in July. So, like, I didn't like how the, like, the lectionary makes Ephesians start like the second weekend in July. It's it's just not. The omissions oh, in the lectionary wow. are, in, are, are interesting. Well, that's also too. true because, um, what verse 13 gets cut out of the lectionary where Paul talks about how his sufferings are for the glory of the church in Ephesus. That, that, that last part of the sentence gets redacted. Not in all that redaction. Cause we don't trust Christians to hear that and, and, and understand it. So anyway, all right, let's go. Which not trusting work. Christians is not always a bad thing, but <laughs> true. But our so untrustworthiness is built into the message, Scott. That's true. This is true. This is one of the best <laughs> apologetic arguments for the truth of the gospel. Uh, there's a book, guy who's coming on the podcast, Joe Small. He used to be the head of theology and worship for the Presbyterian Church, and he wrote a book called uh, "Unfaithful Church," like "Faithless Church, Faithful God," or something like that. Like, which is absolutely right on. But here we have Paul saying he's a prisoner of the Lord, begging them to lead a life worthy of the calling they've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And, and he talks about, he makes a call for unity because there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God. And then you have some beautiful language here about the ascending and descending of Christ. And then a call to, you know, that, that people not be sort of, carried to and fro by every wind of doctrine, but be rooted firmly in Jesus mm-hmm. who knits the whole body together. It's a great passage. Yeah. It's amazing. Cause it really is like, a, it, it's sort of the gospel in miniature, right? I mean, it's a, it's a whole theology in miniature, miniature, right? There's this sense in which, uh, you know, you're called, but starting with the Christian life, like why does the Christian life make sense? Well, mm-hmm. it makes sense because, you know, why would you be patient and loving and gentle well, because of the one that's been patient and gentle with you. Uh, you know. And and it makes sense because, um, you know, the, like this is the grain of the restored cosmos. You know, that like this, like chapter four, like everything in, in, in the rest of Ephesians is the outworking of, you know, the climax in the preceding chapter, um, you know, where, where Paul wants to talk about just the cosmic reconciliation. Uh, that had you know that you know had been re- had been hidden but now is revealed um you know that the divisions um that had existed between us are no longer because of the cross of christ um you know like this so that like this is all coming out of the passage that robert capon your hero um likes to talk about you know you know our reconciliation is the treasure hidden in the field and we might not know that it's there but it doesn't mean that the treasure doesn't exist um, yeah, absolutely. And so it makes perfect sense that we would live united with one another because we are actually, in reality, united with one another. And the divisions by which we want to calibrate our lives are, are lies and illusions. 
Yeah, this is like what Paul says in Second Corinthians five, right? We no longer perceive Christ, mm-hmm. perceive each other from a, anyone from a human point of view, because we once perceived Christ from that point of view, right? Like, you know, we we thought he, you know, Paul, the one who persecuted the church, you know, didn't understand the significance of the crucified Nazarene, and so. Mm-hmm. But now this is again, we'll take your favorite mainline Andy Rooney moment. I feel like I feel like very often we want to put the cart before the horse. By yes. the way, my my Calvin teacher Charles Parti in his like magnus opus on Calvin, Oxford University Press. In a footnote, he actually there's a reference to Descartes in one of the in the footnote. He says there was a debate at the University of Iowa when I was there. Uh, the veterinary school wanted veterinary school wanted more funding than the philosophy than the school philosophy. Uh, but the philosophy department, the, the philosophy department responded, "This is wrong because you know they wanted to put instead Descartes before the horse." <laughs> and I was like, "I can't believe that <laughs> you put that joke in an Oxford press footnote." That's I don't know what it I made think its about. way. It made its way. That's such a terrible joke. But but yeah, I mean the cart before the horse thing. Oftentimes, sometimes you hear if if in certain evangelical circles the the sort of christ is preached without the 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 indicative comes you know without the logical imperative where we have to and and sort of there's this talk about union christ and yet there's incredible segregation and indifference to real suffering the human condition across lines of 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 sociological and racial division correspondingly in the kind of in mainline circles, it's often let's have the imperative without the indicative, yeah. right? Like, like let's say we're all one and let's all work together, thinking that really this can be a natural outworking of human ingenuity or maybe a generic spiritual sort of experience as opposed to rooted, that this universal is rooted in a particular, inescapable and, and kind of scandalizing particular. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think... Um... Because it's all about access, right? I mean, it's, 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 um, so I saw a story about plans for, um, the anniversary of the Charlottesville, um, stuff from last August that there were plans to have like a, a carnival, um, in Jefferson Park in Charlottesville. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard that. Yeah. And, and, yeah, so like in the mystery of Christ, Robert Capon talks about, um, you know, because all, you know, because captivity itself has been made a captive by God, uh, and the, you know, the walls have, have been torn down, uh, the divisions between us have been eradicated. Um, so like the Christian posture towards the sin of the world is to, um, to be like that of a, like a court jester. Um, you know, cause like the tragedy of racism and the tragedy of the other sins of the world is that like, we all have agreed to live, uh, according to something that just doesn't actually exist anymore. Yeah. This is sort of like the, you know, the, I think this is true, right? They found some Japanese soldiers after World War II. That's, oh my gosh. Oh my who are, gosh. Who are, right. Who are oh living on these deserted this, islands, right? I, I've actually mapped out a sermon on this, and I, that's how I was going to begin. That's fun. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing, right? But they, they live as though the worst. The armistice has happened. The peace has happened. I Japan hope nobody listens to this now. Exactly. But that's but they're living still as if that conflict is still, nobody's told them. Mm-hmm. 
you know, this makes you think of Paul, like how beautiful are the feet that bring good news, right? That and, something has yeah. happened. And what's because what's interesting about those, like, uh, like there's a couple of Japanese World War II guys who didn't realize it was over. Was like a they were kind of paraded around uh, Japan as 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 clowns almost for, for like, you know the amusement of their fellow citizens, and uh, they didn't know how to live in the new world they found themselves, and they would like go back. Um, to, to where they had been living in a state of war that didn't exist for decades. This is like uh, the Great Divorce, right? Where they have those regular yeah. bus trips up. Or the old guy from Shawshank Redemption. Exactly. Like, I'd like to go back to this prison. Let's move on to the gospel reading here, John six twenty four through thirty five. I gotta say this, like this is one of the reasons why I hate the lectionary in the summer, is because no one should spend this much time in John chapter six. It goes on forever. It's a great chapter, though. It's it can be done like in one sermon. I don't know. I, I think it's it's pretty interesting though, because here here you have here you have the the, the great Eucharistic text. Eat me. Uh, Oh gosh, you're so irreverent. Uh, it, it, you have this great Eucharistic text previous to this, where Jesus does kind of the, you know, breaks, get, takes, give thanks, breaks, you know, the, in the Eucharistic fashion. And then the next day, when the people uh, who remained after the feeding saw neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. So they find him, and you know, the, the other side of the sea. And he kind of calls him out. He says, "You're not looking. You're not looking for me. Uh, you're looking for, you know. You just want, you just want the, you know. You want the thing. You want something else other than me." Mm-hmm. Which is interesting. Like, um, you know, because if if you go back to, um, you know, the story of Genesis, so, so bread is given as a, um, as a consequence of the fall. Right. Um, so, so now now that they are, um, you know, exiting Eden, you know, God has to provide provision for them. And, and so the bread that uh, the bread they will make by the sweat of their brow becomes kind of a, a sacrament of their sin. Right. Um, you know, so then, you know, and then like the Israelites are in the desert and God gives them bread just as a as, as sheer gift every morning, as long as they like live in trust of it, um, which Adam and Eve could not do in the garden. Uh, and here again, Jesus is not only giving them this sacrament of their sin as a gift now, as grace, um, but he, you know he's identifying himself with it. Um, he, he has that great line: "Don't work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures for eternal life." And, you know, I think of Shmeiman in "For the Life of the World," where he says that mm-hmm. you know man was Adam was created to be the priest of creation and to offer the the food back like the thing the difference between us and all the other creatures in creation is we can bless God back for the food. We can actually eat Eucharistically. Mm-hmm. And it says when we cut food off from that, it becomes decaying matter. Well, it's, it's also, they, we don't know how, like we're the only creatures who don't know how to be creatures. Right. Right. Exactly. We, we sort of, we sort of overstep our bounds and under and under perform in our true vocation. Mm-hmm. And so like learning to live in trust is, is how we, we, you know, that's what it means for us to be a creature. I would say. 
Yeah, and so that you know he, and then you know they go in this, like you're saying, they go in with this dialogue about Moses and the manna, and then he says, you know, for the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said, sir, give us this bread. I like how it's this one of these. You know, John is great because there's all like, these. This sounds awesome. Right. Well, that we didn't know about that. I mean, we're here. We stuck around like for the after party. <laughs> Come on. Tell it all out. It's just great. I like, mean, Kano was pretty fun, but. It's like the whole thing with the, the living water, right? And, in, in, <laughs> in, you know, with, with the woman at the well, you know, there's all these like, or, or Nicodemus. I mean, what do you mean, born? I can't go back in my mom's womb. All these, things. you know, it's one of those great, like. Well, we definitely want that bread. To which she says, "I'm the bread of life." It's almost well, like, like, what terrible students of the Bible were they that they have these obvious allusions to hey, the Hebrew Bible hey, hey, happening hey, you, everywhere in front of hey, them? You and I have both spent a lot of time in Princeton Seminary. <laughs> right, let's not be that critical. Like, this bread sounds pretty good. Yeah, so that's it's so interesting, right? Because here we have this this sense, but Jesus, I, and it's interesting because when he says, "I'm the bread of life," or it's almost uh, you hear some of the the allusions going forward to to Martha, right? Like, you know, if you were here, you know, yeah. of course I believe in the resurrection. Yeah. You know, I am the resurrection. So, like, there's this, you know, Tim Keller. I've heard him say that whenever someone who's struggling with Christianity says, whenever he says or she says, I'd be a Christian, but that the, but is the current object of worship mm-hmm. or they're all, or as Paul Tillich would say, the ultimate concern Tillich says, right. God is the yeah. ultimate concern about which we must be ultimately concerned. But what happens with idolatry is when something else becomes our ultimate concern. And so Keller says, you know, whenever there's this, I'd be a Christian except yeah. or, but, or, but only, you know, my girlfriend, or it just, I can't square this intellectual thing, I'm 90% there, or this thing it rubs against my politics, or this, then whatever, it, that thing becomes the ultimate concern. And here, you, you see these, and John often here, Jesus is it, J- Jesus is the ultimate concern, and, and he is the bread of life. He is the resurrection. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, I don't know who your listeners are. I know some of my friends are, and so... But one of them is Jason Michelli, and others... I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, like, you probably have a fair number of liberal Protestant listeners um listening to this podcast and and i think one of the things that makes john difficult to preach isn't just the layered symbolism and allusions uh to the hebrew scriptures uh you know i i think one of the things that makes it hard for mainline preachers to preach john is how many references there are to belief in christ and eternal life like we don't know how to preach that in a way that doesn't sound like fundamentalist evangelicals um, and so, you know, like maybe one of the things to do with this passage is just to own this language and really kind of unpack it in a helpful way. And, and I think it's important to notice. I think that that what the synoptic Jesus calls the kingdom of God is what John's Jesus is calling eternal life. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are one and the same. I mean, these are they want not to be juxtapositioned off. These this is life in the kingdom, mm-hmm. and and life in the kingdom. I mean, the the fundamental. You know, you think of a. Um, Immanuel Kant says, right, that, that, you know, that we ought to act as if every man, every person is an end in themselves, a kingdom of ends. Mm-hmm. Well, it's very interesting. A lot of people in certain church circles will do that with everyone but Jesus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like everyone gets to be there, but, Je- but I, and I think the message of John very often, especially in this passage, Jesus isn't a means to an end. Yeah. Like if, if, you, if you want Jesus to give, to just give you bread, you'll never have him as the bread of life. Yep. 
Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, and, that, and that's a way to connect all these like stories in John, right? Is that you know he is the direct like listen to him, you know, receive him. Yeah. Yeah. Jason, great. thank you for spending some time with me, and this has been great. And I hope blessing in your preaching on Ephesians, and a bless blessing on our listeners who hear this. Are you preaching at Bill Boar's church anytime soon? Uh, I don't think I'm preaching there. Don't you do that sometimes? I do. I, I'm not doing it this week, at least. I hope I'm not, because I'm not. I didn't. I haven't sent anybody anything. So, Bill was watching earlier. Bill, if I am, I don't think I am. But if I am, <laughs> well, send me this. I'll, I'll send have me. you come down here, and you, you can. You can, can I sit in the captain's chair? Uh, you can sit in the captain's chair. I would love that. Make it so. Make it so. Thanks, Jason. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Synaxis Podcast. If you like what you heard, please go to iTunes, give it a rating, write a review, and subscribe, or pass it along to a friend via email, or say something about it on social media. All of those things help so much as we're just getting off the ground. Thanks again to my guest, Jason Michelle. You can follow Jason's exploits at tamecynic.org, and check out his podcast, Crackers and Grape Juice. Thank you again for listening and we will catch you next week until then fare thee well